Chapter Four of the Mysteries of Paris by Eugène Sue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Avoid Temptation, Part One. It is night. Profound silence reigns in the pavilion inhabited by Jacques Ferrand, interrupted only at intervals by gusts of wind and the dashing of rain which falls in torrents. These melancholy sounds seem to render still more complete the solitude of this abode. In a sleeping room in the first floor, very nicely and newly furnished and covered with a thick carpet a young female is standing up before a fireplace in which there is a cheerful blaze it is strange but in the centre of the door carefully bolted and which is opposite to the bed is a small glass door five or six inches square which opens from the outside a small reflecting lamp casts a half shadow in this chamber hung with garnet-coloured paper the curtains of the bed and the window as well as the cover of the large sofa are of silk and woollen damask of the same colour we are precise in the details of this demi-luxury so recently imported into the notary's residence because it announces a complete revolution in the habits of jacques ferrand who until now was of the most sordid avarice and of spartan disregard especially as it concerned others to everything that respected comfortable existence it is on this garnet-coloured ground that was shadowed forth the figure of cecily which we will now attempt to paint tall and graceful the creole was in the full flower of her age her spreading shoulders and hips made her waist appear so singularly small that it seemed as if it could be easily spanned as simple as it was coquettish her alsatian costume was of singular taste somewhat theatrical but for that reason more capable of producing the effect she desired her bodice of black cashmere half open on her full bosom was very long-waisted with tight sleeves plain back and slightly embroidered with purple wool down the seams perfected by a row of small cut silver buttons a short petticoat of orange merino which seemed of vast fullness descended little lower than the knee her stockings were of scarlet with blue clocks as we see them in the drawings of the old flemish painters who so complacently show us the garters of their robust heroines no artist ever drew more perfect legs than were those of cecily symmetrical and slim beneath the swelling calf they terminated in a small foot quite at ease and yet restrained in the small slipper of black morocco with silver buckles cecily was looking into the glass over the mantelpiece the slope of her bodice displayed her elegant and dimpled neck of dazzling but not transparent whiteness taking off her cap of cherry-coloured velvet to replace it with a kerchief she displayed her thick magnificent head of hair of lustrous black which divided over her brows and naturally curling came down only to the necklace of venus which unites the neck and shoulders it is necessary to know the inimitable taste with which the creoles twist around their heads their kerchiefs of bright hues to have an idea of the graceful headdress of cecily and the piquant contrast of this variegated covering of purple blue and orange with the black silky tresses which escaping from beneath the tight fold of the night kerchief surrounded her pale but round and firm cheeks with her two arms raised above her head she proceeded with the ends of her fingers as slender as spindles of ivory to arrange a large rosette placed very low on the left side almost over her ear cecily's features were such as once seen it is impossible ever to forget a bold forehead somewhat projecting surmounts her face which was a perfect oval her pearly white complexion the satiny freshness of the camellia leaf slightly touched by a sun-ray her eyes of almost disproportionate size have a singular expression for their irises extremely large black and brilliant hardly allow the blue transparency of the orbits 
at the two extremities of the lids fringed with long lashes to be visible her chin is very distinctly prominent her nose straight and thin ends in two delicate nostrils which dilate on the least emotion her mouth insolent and amorous is of bright purple we must imagine this colourless countenance with its bright black glance its two red pulpy and humid lips which glisten like wet coral such was cecily her infamous instincts at first repressed by her real attachment for david not being developed till she reached europe civilization and the influence of northern climates had tempered their violence we have already said that cecily had scarcely reached germany when first seduced by a man of desperately depraved habits she unknown to david who loved her with equal idolatry and blindness exercised and turned to account for a considerable time all her seductive powers but soon the scandal of her adventures was raised abroad and such exposures ensued that she was sentenced to perpetual imprisonment to all this let there be joined a plastic adroit insinuating mind an intelligence so wonderful that in a year she spoke french and german with perfect ease sometimes even with natural eloquence then add a corrupted heart worthy of the courtesan queen of ancient rome in audacity and courage proof against everything instincts of diabolical wickedness and then we may understand the new servant of jacques ferrand the resolute being who had dared to venture into the wolf's den yes strange anomaly on learning from m de grone the inciting and platonic part she was to play with the notary and what avenging ends were to be derived from her seductions cecily had promised to go through the character with love or rather terrible hatred against jacques ferrand being sincerely indignant at the recital of the infamous violence he had exercised against louise a recital necessary to be unfolded to the creole to put her on her guard against the hypocritical attempts of this monster a few retrospective words as to this latter are indispensable when cecily was presented by madame pipelet as an orphan over whom she did not desire to maintain any right any control the notary was perhaps less smitten by the beauty of the creole than fascinated by her irresistible look a look which at the first interview disturbed the reason of jacques ferrand we have already said in reference to the insensate boldness of some of his words when conversing with madame de lucenay that this man usually so completely master of himself so calm so cunning so subtle forgot the cold calculation of his deep dissimulation when the demon of desire darkened his better sense besides he had no cause to distrust the protege of madame pipelet after her conversation with alfred's spouse madame seraphin had proposed to jacques ferrand a young girl almost destitute to replace louise and he had eagerly accepted the offer in the hopes of taking advantage of the isolated and precarious position of his new servant moreover far from being predisposed to mistrust jacques ferrand found in the march of events fresh motives for security all succeeded to his utmost wishes the death of madame seraphin released him from a dangerous accomplice the death of fleur-de-marie he believed her dead delivered him from a living proof of one of his earliest crimes finally thanks to the death of the chouette and the unexpected murder of the countess macgregor whose life was despaired of he no longer had these two women to fear whose disclosures and attacks might have been most disastrous to him the disposition habits and former life of jacques ferrand known and displayed the exciting beauty of the creole admitted as we have endeavoured to paint her together with other facts we shall detail as we proceed will account we presume for the sudden passion the unbridled desire of the notary for this seductive and dangerous creature then we must add 
that if women of cecily's stamp inspire nothing but repugnance and disgust to men endued with tender and elevated sentiments with delicate and pure tastes they exercise a sudden action a magic omnipotence over men of brutal sensuality like jacques ferrand thus a just and avenging fatality brought the creole into contact with the notary and a terrible expiation was beginning for him a fierce passion had urged him on to persecute with pitiless malice an indigent and honest family and to spread amongst them misery madness and death this passion was now to be the formidable chastisement of this great culprit although jacques ferrand was never to have his desires realized the creole took care not to deprive him of all hope but the vague and distant prospects she held out were so coloured by caprices that they were an additional torture and more completely enslaved him if we are astonished that a man of such vigour and audacity had not recourse to stratagem or violence to triumph over the calculating resistance of sicily we forget that cecily was not a second louise besides the day after her presentation to the notary she had played quite another part from that by aid of which she had been introduced to her master for he had not been the dupe of his servant two days forewarned of the fate of louise by the baron de grone and knowing besides by what abominable means she had become the prey of the notary the creole on entering this solitary house had taken excellent precautions for passing her first night there in perfect security the evening of her arrival being alone with jacques ferrand he in order not to alarm her pretended scarcely to look at her and rudely ordered her to bed she told him naively that she was afraid of thieves in the night but that she was resolute and capable of defending herself at the same time drawing from her large woollen pelisse a small but exceedingly keen stiletto the sight of which set the notary thinking believing that cecily was afraid of robbers only he showed her to the late chamber of louise after having examined it cecily said trembling she would sleep in a chair because the door had neither lock nor bolt jacques ferrand unwilling to compromise himself by rousing cecily's suspicions promised a bolt should be fixed the creole did not go to bed in the morning the notary sent to her to show her how to set about her work he had promised himself to preserve for the first few days a hypocritical reserve with respect to his new servant in order to inspire her with confidence but smitten by her beauty which by daylight was even more striking blinded maddened by his desires which already got the better of him he stammered out some compliments as to the figure and beauty of cecily she with keen sagacity had judged that from her first interview with the notary he was completely caught in her spells at the confession he made of his flame she thought it policy to cast aside at once her feigned timidity and as we have said to change her mask the creole suddenly assumed a bold air jacques ferrand again complimented her beauty and her graceful figure look at me well said cecily to him in a bold tone although i am dressed as an alsatian peasant do i look like a servant what do you mean cried jacques ferrand look at this hand does it appear accustomed to hard labour and she presented a white delicate hand with long and slender fingers with nails as rosy and polished as agate but whose root slightly browned betrayed the creole blood and this foot is it that of a servant and she protruded a beautiful small foot coquettishly shod which the notary had not before remarked and from which he only removed his eyes to gaze on cecily with amazement i told my aunt pipelet what story i chose she knew nothing of my former life 
and believes me reduced to my present condition through the death of my parents and takes me for a servant but you i hope have too much sagacity to show her error dear master who then are you exclaimed jacques ferrand more and more surprised at her language that is my secret for reasons best known to myself i was obliged to quit germany in this attire i wished to remain concealed in paris for some time being as secluded as possible my aunt supposing me reduced to misery proposed to me your service telling me of the solitary life which i must of compulsion lead in your house informing me that i should never have leave to quit it i accepted the offer unhesitatingly without knowing it my aunt had anticipated my most earnest desire who would think of looking for and finding me here and what have you done to compel you to seek concealment agreeable sins perhaps but that is also my secret and what are your intentions mademoiselle what they always have been but for your significant compliments as to my shape and beauty perhaps i should not have confessed so much to you although no doubt your clear-sightedness would sooner or later have induced my confession now listen to me my dear master i have for the moment accepted the condition or rather the character of a servant circumstances compelled me i have courage enough to sustain the character to the end and will risk all the consequences i will serve you with zeal activity and respect in order to retain my situation that is to say a sure and unknown asylum but on the least word of gallantry the least liberty you take with me i will leave you not from prudery there is nothing of the prude about me i fancy and she darted a look at the notary which had full effect no i am no prude she continued with a provoking smile which displayed her teeth of dazzling whiteness indeed no when i love i do love but be discreet and you will see that your unworthy servant has no desire but honestly to discharge her duty as a servant now you have my secret or at least a portion of it but should you by any chance desire to act as a gentleman should you find me too handsome to serve you should you like to change parts and become my slave be it so frankly speaking i should prefer it and had rather you should feel paternally disposed towards me that would not prevent you from saying that you found me charming this will be the recompense of your devotion and discretion the only one the only one stammered jacques ferrand the only one unless solitude make me mad which is impossible for you will keep me company come make up your mind no ambiguity i either serve you or you shall serve me if not i leave your house and beg my aunt to find me another place all this may perhaps appear strange to you but if you take me for an adventuress without any means of existence you are wrong in order that my aunt should be my accomplice without knowing it i have made her believe that i was so poor that i could not purchase any other garments than those i now wear i have however as you see a tolerably well-filled purse on this side gold on the other diamonds and cecily displayed before the notary's eyes a long red silk purse filled with gold and through the meshes of which he could also see several sparkling gems unfortunately all the money in the world could not purchase for me a retreat so secure as your house so isolated from the very solitude in which you live accept then one or other of my offers and you will do me a kindness you see i place myself almost at your discretion for to say to you i conceal myself is to say to you i am sought for but i am sure you will not betray me even if you could 
this romantic confidence this sudden change of character completely upset all jacques ferrand's ideas who was this woman why did she conceal herself was it chance alone that had brought her to him if she came with some secret aim what could it be amongst all the ideas which this singular adventure gave rise to in the notary's mind the real motive of the creole's presence did not occur to him he had not or rather he believed he had no other enemies than the victims of his licentiousness and his cupidity and all these were in such miserable circumstances that he could not suspect them capable of spreading any net for him of which cecily should be the bait and then moreover what could be the motive of any such snare no the sudden transformation of cecily inspired jacques ferrand with one fear only he believed that this woman did not tell the truth and was perhaps an adventuress who thinking him rich had introduced herself into his house to wheedle and get money from him and perhaps induce him to marry her but although his avarice at once revolted at this idea he perceived and trembled that his suspicions and reflections were too late for he might by one word have calmed his distrust by sending away this woman from his house but this word he could not say these thoughts hardly occupied him a moment so fascinated had he become he already loved after his own fashion and the idea of being separated from this enchanting creature seemed impossible and he felt also a jealousy which made him say to himself so long as she is immured in my house she can have no other lover the boldness of her language the wantonness of her look the freedom of her manner all revealed that she was not as she had said a prude this conviction giving vague hopes to the notary still more assured cecily's empire in a word jacques ferrand's passion choking the calm voice of reason he blindly resigned himself to all that might result it was agreed that cecily should only be the servant in appearance thus there would be no scandal besides in order the more completely to render his guest at her ease he was not to engage any other servant but make up his mind to wait on her and on himself the meals were brought from a neighbouring tavern the porter swept out and attended to the office and he paid for his clerk's breakfast then the notary would furnish at once an apartment on the first floor as cecily wished she desired to pay for it but he refused and spent two thousand francs eighty livres this was enormous generosity and proved the unheard-of violence of his passion then began the terrible life of this miserable wretch enclosed in the impenetrable solitude of this house inaccessible to all more and more under the galling yoke of his mad love careless of penetrating the secret of this singular woman from a master he was made a slave he was cecily's valet served her at meal-times and took care of her apartment forewarned by the baron that louise had been overcome by a narcotic the creole drank only pure water eating only of dishes with which it was impossible to tamper she had selected the apartment she was to occupy assuring herself that there was no concealed entrance besides jacques ferrand soon discovered that cecily was not a woman whom he could assail with impunity she was vigorous agile and dangerously armed thus a frenzied delirium alone could have incited him to attempt force and she was quite protected from this peril yet that she might not weary and utterly repulse the notary's passion the creole seemed sometimes touched by his assiduities and flattered by the control which she exercised over him 
and perceiving that he hoped by dint of proofs of devotion and self-denial he should contrive to make her overlook his age and ugliness she amused herself with telling him that if she ever could love him how excessive that love would be with this jacques ferrand's reason wandered and he would frequently walk in his garden at night absorbed in his own reflections sometimes he gazed for hours into the bedroom of the creole for she had allowed a small window to be made in the door which she frequently and intentionally left open absorbed lost wandering indifferent to his most important interests or the preservation of his reputation as an austere serious and pious man her reputation usurped it is true but at the same time acquired after long years of dissimulation and chicanery he amazed his clerks by his aberration of mind offended his clients by his refusals to receive them and abruptly refused the visits of the priests who deceived by his hypocrisy had been until then his warmest champions we have said that cecily was dressing her head before her glass at a slight noise in the corridor she turned her head towards the door in spite of the noise she had heard cecily continued her night toilet tranquilly she drew from her corsage where it was placed almost like a busk a stiletto five or six inches long enclosed in a case of black chagrin having a small ebony handle with silver threads a plain handle but very fit for use it was not a mere weapon for show cecily took the dagger from its scabbard with excessive precaution and laid it on the marble mantelpiece the blade of finest temper and damascus steel was triangular with keen edges and the point as sharp as a needle would have pierced a shilling without turning the edge impregnated with a subtle and rapid poison the slightest puncture of this poniard was mortal jacques ferrand having one day alluded to the danger of this weapon the creole made in his presence an experiment in anima vita that is to say on the unfortunate house-dog which slightly pricked on the nose fell and died in horrible convulsions the stiletto placed on the mantelpiece cecily took off her black bodice and was then with her shoulders neck and arms denuded like a lady in her ball-dress like most of the creole women she wore instead of stays another bodice of stout linen which fitted her figure very closely her orange-coloured petticoat remaining attached to this sort of white spencer with short sleeves and cut very low formed a costume less precise than the other and harmonized wonderfully with the scarlet stocking and the coloured handkerchief so coquettishly arranged around the creole's head nothing could be more perfect more beautifully defined than the graceful contour of her arms and shoulders a heavy sigh aroused cecily's attention she smiled as she twisted around her finger one of her curling tresses which had escaped from beneath her headdress. cecily cecily murmured a voice which was plaintive though coarse and through the wicket was visible the pale and flat face of jacques ferrand cecily silent until then began to hum a creole air the words of this melody were sweet and expressive although repressed the full contra-alto of cecily was heard above the noise of the torrents of the rain and gusts of wind which seemed to shake the old house to its very foundation cecily cecily repeated jacques ferrand in a tone of supplication the creole paused suddenly and turned her head around quickly as if for the first time she then heard the notary's voice and going towards the door what dear master she called him so in derision you there she said with a slight foreign accent 
which gave additional charm to her full and sarcastic voice oh how beautiful you are murmured the notary you think so said cecily doesn't my head-dress become me i think you handsomer every day only see how white my arm is monster be gone be gone shouted jacques ferrand furious cecily burst into a loud fit of laughter no no it is too much to suffer oh if i were not afraid of death said the notary gloomily but to die is to renounce you altogether and you are so beautiful i would rather then suffer and look at you look at me why that's what the wicket was made for and so we can thus chat like two friends in our solitude which really is not irksome to me you are such a good master what a dangerous confession i make through the door will you never open this door you see how submissive i am this evening i might have tried to enter into your chamber with you but i did not do so you are submissive for two reasons in the first place because you know that having from the necessity of my wandering life always had the precaution to carry a stiletto i can manage with a strong hand this inestimable jewel whose tooth is sharper than a viper's and you know too that from the day in which i have to complain of you i will quit this roof for ever leaving you a thousand times more enamoured than ever since you have so greatly honoured your unworthy servant as to say that you are enamoured ever my servant it is i who am your slave your mocked derided despised slave that's true enough and yet it does not move you it amuses me the days and especially the nights are so long accursed creature but seriously you look so perfectly wretched your features have so sensibly altered that i am quite flattered at it it is a poor triumph but you are the only one here to hear that and me consume an impotent rage have you really any understanding why i never said anything more tender jeer at me jeer at me i do not jeer i never before saw a man of your age in love after your fashion and i must confess a young and handsome man would be incapable of these outrageous passions an adonis admires himself as much as he admires us he likes us and we choose to notice him nothing more simple he has a claim to our love but is hardly grateful but to show favour to a man like you my master dear would be to take him from earth to heaven to fulfil his wildest dreams his most insensate hopes for if some being were to say to you you love cecily to distraction if i chose she would be yours next minute you would suppose such a being endued with supernatural power shouldn't you master dear yes ah yes well if you could convince me more satisfactorily of your passion i might perchance have the whimsical fancy to enact the supernatural part myself in your favour do you comprehend i comprehend that you are still fooling me that you are still pitiless perhaps for solitude creates so many singular fancies until this moment cecily's accent had been sarcastic but she pronounced these last words with a serious reflecting tone and accompanied them with a look which made the notary start silence do not look at me thus you will drive me mad i would rather you denied me at least i could then hate you drive you from my house cried jacques ferrand who again gave himself up to a vain hope yes for i should then hope nothing from you but misery misery 
i know you well enough now to hope in spite of myself that one day i might from your very hate or proud caprice obtain what i shall never owe to your love you bid me convince you of my passion do you not see how unhappy i am i will do all i can to please you you desire to be concealed from all eyes and from all eyes i conceal you perchance at the risk of compromising myself most seriously for indeed i know not who you are i respect your secret i never speak to you of it i have interrogated you as to your past life and you have given me no answer well then i was very wrong i'll give you a mark of blind confidence o oh master dear and so listen another bitter jest no doubt no a serious tale you ought at least to know the life of her to whom you afford such generous hospitality then cecily continued in a tone of hypocritical and lachrymose earnestness daughter of a brave soldier brother of my aunt pipelet i received an education beyond my condition i was seduced and then abandoned by a rich young gentleman then to escape the anger of my father whose notions of honour were most strict i fled my native country then bursting into a loud fit of laughter cecily added now i hope that's what you call a very pretty and particularly probable tale for it has been very often told amuse your curiosity with that until you get hold of some other story more interesting i was certain it was some cruel jest said the notary with concentrated rage nothing touches you nothing what must i do tell me i serve you like the lowest footboy for you i neglect my dearest interests i no longer know what i do i am a subject of astonishment and derision to my own clerks my clients hesitate any longer to entrust me with their affairs i have severed my connection with some religious persons whom i knew intimately i dare not think of what the world will say of my change of demeanour and habits but you do not know no you do not know the fatal consequences my mad passion for you may entail on me yet i give you ample proof of my devotion will you have more speak is it gold you would have they think me richer than i am but i what could i do with your gold asked cecily interrupting the notary and shrugging her shoulders living in this chamber what is the use of gold your invention is at fault it is no fault of mine if you are a prisoner is this chamber displeasing to you will you have one more splendid speak order once more what is the use what is the use oh if i might here expect a beloved one full of the love he inspires and participates i would have gold silks flowers perfumes all the wonders of luxury nothing could be too sumptuous too enchanting to enshrine my love said cecily with an impassioned voice well these wonders of luxury say but a word and what's the use what's the use why make a frame for which there is no picture and the adored one where is he where is he master dear true exclaimed the notary with bitterness i am old i am ugly i can only inspire disgust and aversion she overwhelms me with contempt jests at me and yet i have not the resolution the power to send her away i have only the resolution to suffer oh silly old mourner and what an absurd elderly gentleman with his sufferings cried cecily in a contemptuous and sarcastic tone 
he only knows how to groan to despair and yet he has been for ten days shut up alone with a young woman in a lone house but this woman scorns me this woman is armed this woman is shut up groaned the notary furiously well conquer her scorn make the dagger fall from her hands compel her to open the door which separates her from yourself but not by brute force that would be useless how then by the strength of your passion passion and can i inspire it why you are nothing but a lawyer affecting piety i really pity you is it for me to teach you your part you are ugly be terrible and one may forget your ugliness you are old be energetic and one may forget your age you are repulsive become menacing since you cannot be the noble steed that neighs proudly in the midst of his harem do not become the stupid camel that bends the knee and offers his back be the tiger the old tiger that roars in the midst of carnage still excites admiration his tigress responds to him from the deepest recesses of the desert End of chapter four part one read by Celine Major